you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, uh, turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16. Uh, I'll, I'll say the same thing tonight I did this morning. Uh, pray for me, pray that God gives me the strength and the wind and, and, the, and the words to preach tonight. Uh, and uh, if I get into a coughing fit, forgive me uh, and just pray for me. Uh, Luke chapter 16. Uh, while you're finding Luke chapter 16, there's a couple things that I feel like I, I need to say tonight. Uh, first of all, I was just sitting there thinking, and it's hard to believe, but I have been, I, uh, God called me to preach in July of 2006. I did not answer my call to preach until January of 2007. January of 2007 is when I preached my first message. I began to preach. I don't remember the exact day in January. It's about the middle of the end of January. Uh, but anyways, I preached my first message in January of 2007. That means now that uh, as of this last January, I have been preaching for 15 years. So 15 years in a month. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem, for me, it doesn't seem possible. It seems like I just started. Of course, my kids... You probably don't remember a time when I didn't preach, right? Uh, I've been preaching for pretty much all of your guys' lives. Uh, if you just simply do the math, and, and I don't know exactly, uh, I, I've preached uh, just pretty much every Sunday, most Sundays, two sermons. I've preached, I don't know how many revivals, the Lord blessed me. Uh, there were several years there, I've preached quite a few revivals. But I've preached way over 1,500 sermons, maybe close to 2,000 sermons. And when you look back on that, you think about it, you're thinking, how in the world is that possible? I don't know very much. I'm just a simple little uh, hillbilly country boy, and I just don't know much. And so anyways, I was looking, and God has drawn me to this passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 16. And it seems like, and I was feeling a little self-conscious about it, but I knew it's what God wanted me to do. It seems like every couple of years, I come back to this passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, through verse 31, Lazarus and the rich man. And I don't know exactly how many times I've preached on this passage of Scripture, but I would say I've preached on it three or four times. It would not surprise me if tonight is the fifth time I've preached on this passage of Scripture. Now, I don't want you to think I'm preaching the same message every time because I, I'm not. It, you know, God, God gives me a different thought, right? Different points, a different something to bring up. In this one particular passage of Scripture, there is probably more given to us information about hell. Right, and, and I'm telling you, if there was ever a day that, that the preachers need to be preaching on hell, now it is, all right? Now is the time. And so anyways, it, it just seems like every couple of years. And so anyways, I was thinking, you know, whenever I was getting ready to this message and preach, I was thinking, man, I remember, I kind of remember last time I preached on this past scripture. It wasn't that long ago. It was two years ago at the most. And then I got to thinking, well, you know, on this passage of Scripture, once ever 400 sermons or so, that's not too bad, is it? So anyways, uh, I, I'm sure some of the things I've got to say are the same things I always say, but I've got some different points that I need to bring out tonight that God wants me to point out and show uh, to you tonight. So if you look here at Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19, it says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. 
And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so, there, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather here this, this evening to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for uh, our church family, for the, the building that you've given us, the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. Lord, all the blessings you've been so good to us. We th I think about, and we were talking about and praying for earlier, our brothers in, in, in Europe and in Ukraine and what they're facing and what they're going through. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that we, we're, we're safe here. We're not got to worry about any bombings or troops or anything like that. Lord, we're people that's blessed beyond measure. God, I just pray that we would not uh, take that lightly or take it for granted. Lord, that we would always have glory for you. And Lord, I pray that especially, Lord, that we would be thankful for our salvation. Lord, that we would recognize what a, what a great and wonderful gift that you have given us. Lord, that you sacrificed and sent your only begotten Son, that Jesus come and died on Calvary's cross for my sins and for our sins and for the sins of the world. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would, we would recognize that we didn't deserve that, we're not worthy of it, and we couldn't do enough to deserve it. But Lord, that we've always got praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, my prayer is that you would have your way and your will in this service tonight. I know there are several needs amongst us, I know there's some that need a touch in their body. I know there's some that just need to be lifted up and encouraged. Lord, I know there's some that's probably not where they ought to be. Maybe some that are backslidden. Might even be some that are lost and undone. Whatever the need is, Lord, you see the heart. You know it. There's nothing hidden from you. 
And so, Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you would stir and that you'd have your way and your will. Lord, my prayer is is that you would just, um, Lord, that you would just, you would touch and do what only you can do in this service. Lord, that we would just be open and receptive to your word, to to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. We would leave here tonight with a, a, a newfound burden for a lost and dying world, with a fire burning, Lord, a desire to be holy as you are holy, a desire to spread your gospel, a desire to be the people that you've called us to be. To live a life that pleases and glorifies you and honors you. So Lord, I'm just asking for you to just move in a mighty way. And Lord, let me ask for myself. I need your help tonight. I'm asking that you would empower me from on high. Lord, that you'd fill me full of your Holy Spirit. That you'd anoint me from on high. God, that you'd clear my mind of everything except for your message, your thoughts, your words. And Lord, you place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak tonight. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you tonight. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I need to emphasize, first of all, the importance of this passage of Scripture. Some people would say it's a parable. I tell you tonight it is not a parable. It is a real, true story. Somebody that Jesus knew. I want you to understand tonight that Jesus was speaking on a real place where real people go when they die lost. You must understand tonight that because real people go to a real hell when they die without Jesus Christ. That means every person, every person that we know who is lost, when they die, they will go to hell. Now that's just as real as it gets. I heard a man say just this last week, talking about the scriptures, talking about the Bible. He was not... A, a preacher or a theologian or anything like that. He was not a lifelong Christian. I'm not 100% sure that he, I'm not sure if God is dealing with him and he's in the process of, of getting, saved, getting ready to be saved under conviction and all that, or if he is very new convert and just recently saved and not sure quite what to do and how to handle things yet. But he made this statement and I thought, wow, that's good. He said, the Bible is truth. But it's more than truth. I mean, it is the foundation of truth. It is is the ultimate. It is beyond that. And I want you to understand that that what we're talking about here is a real place that real people are dying and going to. And I've often wondered, and I've said this before, I often wonder how much you would have, no, having this knowledge, That hell is a real place. And those that die lost without Jesus Christ will go to hell for all of eternity. I've often wondered how much you would have to hate somebody to not even try to warn them about hell. 
You know, speaking about this rich man here, have you ever wondered why Jesus did not call the rich man by name? I thought when he, he is teaching uh, and telling this, uh, this story in front of a, uh, you know, there's a, well, probably a large group of people gathered there. And I've often wondered why didn't, he, you know, he mentioned Lazarus by name, but he never mentions the rich man by name. Why does he not mention the rich man by name? And then I thought, you know, the rich man talked about his five brethren. We don't know how recently all this had taken place. Maybe one of his five brethren was there in the crowd that day. Or maybe he didn't mention it because it's just not important to us to know who this man is. And I've thought before it may not be important because in hell, names do not matter. Do you ever think about that? Names mean a lot here on this side. But on that side, they don't mean anything. There's a lot of people thought they were going to make it to heaven because of what their name and their family Friend, let me tell you, uh, that is not the case. Names don't mean anything there. It's whether or not you've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So this account of the rich man and uh, Lazarus is probably, and I mentioned this a while ago, one of the clearest passages on the subject of hell. I think that's why God keeps drawing me back to that. Jimmy and Roman, if you've ever noticed in your ministry, there's certain passages that God kind of just keeps drawing you back to. Uh, this is one of those that God just keeps drawing me back to. Uh, I was thinking Mr. Don was out just a minute ago uh, with Colvin, I think, but I was thinking when I mentioned a while ago that I've been preaching for 15 years and over 1,500 messages, Don's probably heard every single one of them. And so anyways, uh, I feel sorry for him tonight. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, but anyways, whenever you think about this, hell is the place of eternal torment for the damned. It is the place where those who did not want anything to do with God in this life will finally get exactly what they were wanting. You understand that what, I mean, you know, we talk about hell and we talk about the fires and the eternal torment and a place where the worm dieth not. And talking about, you know, the rich man is talking about can't being, you know, quenched, always thirsty. And we talk about all of these things. Outer darkness, gnashing of teeth. But you know what makes hell, hell, right? I told you this before. The total, complete absence of God. When we look around in this world, and yes, there's a lot of evil and there's a lot of bad stuff, but there's also a lot of good things and there's a lot of beauty. And when you see those things, you're seeing just a little bit, a little bit still of the image of the reflection of the Creator coming through those things, and that's the good that you see. And then, of course, when we get to heaven, all the bad's eliminated, and it's all good, and it's all God, and that's why heaven is heaven, because you're in His presence. And the reason hell is hell is because you're completely devoid. All those that didn't want anything to do with them, He finally gives them what they want. Eternity. Can you imagine that? An eternity 
without God. God sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, so that no one would have to go to hell. Do you understand that? Nobody has to go to hell. Right? We were all bound for a devil's hell, right? That's what every one of us deserves. But because of God's mercy, right? And because of His grace, right? He sent Jesus. Jesus died on Calvary's cross so no one would have to go to hell. But in spite of that, many reject Him. Many reject His offer of salvation. They trample Christ under their feet. And when they die... An eternity in hell is what awaits them. And why in the world someone would actually want to go to hell is beyond me. It is absolutely beyond me. But I, I want to point out to you tonight, there's three things that I don't think I've ever brought out before that I want to bring out of the scripture tonight. That I think three things that every Christian can learn from the rich man in hell. Alright? Three things, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you. I never, I, I never alliterate my sermons because I think it's hokey and silly, but once in a while it just fits perfect, and this is one of them. The three things that we'll learn, and I'll, I'll elaborate here in a minute, is, is vision, voice, and visitation. Okay? So the first one is vision. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, In hell he lifted up his eyes. Right? Talking about the rich man. In hell he lifted up his eyes. For the first time he really saw. The rich man was in hell before he ever got a vision for lost people. Right at this point, for the first time in his life, he is the one where, the, where, where Lazarus laid at his, at his gate and begged just for the crumbs off of his table, right? For the first time, he has a vision for the lost. Let me tell you something tonight, church. We must have a vision for the lost if we're ever going to see the church grow. If we're ever going to see something happen. If we're ever going to move, see a move of God, we're going to have to get a vision for the lost. Hey, I, I hear folks say all the time, revival don't work anymore. Let me tell you something. Revival, when it's God sent, Holy Ghost filled, it does work. It gets the job done. Guarantee it. I mentioned to you, that I wasn't planning on saying this, but I mentioned to you when we first started about Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was thinking back to the, the, what they call the Great Welch Revival. You can Google that and it'll bring you up there. I think it was in 1904 or maybe it's 1907. It's 190-something. But he, as a young man, was saved. He was, he was from... Uh, he was Welsh, he was from Wales, and he was saved in that great, great Welsh revival. And you've heard me talk about that before. I am so fascinated with the history of revival. In the great Welsh revival, that is the one where I've told you about before. That, of course, that's mining country. There's coal mines all over Wales, kind of like our West Virginia and Kentucky and out there. And anyways, them old coal mines, when that revival swept through, it began to be hymns and, and, and church songs and psalms that they would hear the miners singing coming out of the coal mines. Uh, that's the revival when the, when the taverns closed down because they had no customers. Uh, that's the revival that the, that the police officers uh, stopped wearing guns because there was no need for them. The courts ran out of cases to try. That's not stuff I just say because it sounds good. Look it up. It's historical fact. That is what revival will do in a community. 
It happened then and it can happen now. But we're going to have to get a vision for lost people. We can't wait like this uh, rich man did until it's too late before we open our eyes and we get a vision for lost people. We have got to open our eyes and we've got to look out on the fields. That's why Jesus said in John 4.35, He said, Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. (coughs) This world is full of lost and dying people. That's why Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions there. Listen to me. If for no other reason, this ought to motivate us to greater service for Jesus Christ. Because those People that I'm talking about that are lost and dying and going to hell, that is our friends and that is our family members. And if they're not your friends and your family members, they're somebody's friends and somebody's family members. They're my friends and my family members or, 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 or you know, somebody around you. This community, this community needs us talking to us here at Cornerstone, to go. To go out into the community. They need us. This country needs us to go. This world needs us to go. We must go to where the lost are and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, because they are lost and bound for a devil's hell. And I know we try to use the excuse that, you know, we got several excuses that we try to use. Um, you know, we'll try to use that we don't know enough. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. I don't know what they'll think. Uh, you know, probably the most common excuse is I'm too busy, right? We're all busy, right? We all work. We all uh, got jobs to do. We got uh, mouths to feed, families to take care of, uh, our own stuff, our own houses, our own places to take care of. Uh, We've all got, you know, so many things going on in our lives, and that's not even counting the things that we want to do. I understand that, and we say that we are too busy. But you know what? We're not too busy for a ball game. We're not too too busy to watch a movie or a TV show. We're not too busy to get on the internet or get our phone out and and mess on it for a little bit or our iPad. We're not too busy to to play a video game. We're not too busy to go go out to dinner and go out to eat. We're not too busy to go hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. You know what the truth is? The truth of the matter is, is I don't care how much stuff you got going on, No one is too busy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anybody had an excuse about being too busy, it was Jesus. And Jesus wasn't too busy. He even said in Luke 19.10, He said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Man, it ought to be a part of our everyday conversation. I think whenever... 
some people get to talking about going out into the community and reaching the lost, we think of a big organized event. And not that there's anything wrong with a big organized event, and sometimes that can be effective. But what I'm talking about, what I really mean is, is the people you come in contact with every day. What about the ones you live with? What about the ones that call you on the phone? What about the ones you see at the store? What about the ones that you work with? Jesus said, for the Son of Man is come to, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was and still is Christ's mission statement, you could say. That's his mission. And listen to me, it must be our mission also. He is still going to them, and so do we need to be. And listen, there is another side to this. There is an anti-side to this. Satan's mission is still to doom as many people to an eternity in hell as he possibly can. His mission is still to delay as many people from accepting Christ as their Savior as he possibly can. His mission is still to deceive people about heaven, about the Bible, about hell. His mission is to destroy as many lives as he possibly can. That's who we're doing battle with. That's who we're competing with. I'm telling you, it is high time that we opened our eyes and we looked out and saw that the fields were white and ready to harvest. Get a vision for lost people. Learn from this rich man who is in hell, who finally saw when it was too late. It's not too late for us yet. Look now. Look now. That brings me to my next point. I said vision, voice. Verse 24 says, And he cried and said, Here we see him start to talk. The rich man who is now in hell all of a sudden finds his voice. He should have used his voice to warn his family before it was too late. He should have been talking about these things before. Listen to me. We ought to use our voices before it's too late. The church ought to use its voice to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. It saddens me how many churches today who are using what tiny bit of voice that they have left. You realize over the years the church has become more and more irrelevant in the community. And you know why that is? Because the church has wasted its voice for all these years on so many things that are anything and everything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, there's a lot of things that we can do to help people and that's great and that's fine, but we need to be using our voice to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take them the good news, to warn them before it's too late. That's why the church finds itself in a place of not being relevant any longer is because it has stopped using its voice for the cause of Christ. Listen to me. Us using our voice for Jesus, that should be part of our everyday life. We, should, we also should use our voice to praise God. You would be surprised what kind of witness you can be by simply giving God 
the praise and glory that is due to Him no matter when or where you're at, no matter whose company you might be in. Listen to me. We'll use our voices to cheer for our favorite sports team, whether it's the Kansas City Chiefs that we think might be going to the Super Bowl and are not and didn't, whether it's the, the, the team that our kids are on, whether, you know, basketball, baseball, football, all that kind of stuff, whether it's our favorite baseball team or whatever the case may be, we'll use our voice for sports teams. You know, we'll use our voices to talk politics. I bet in the last couple of years I've heard more politics talked in the church than I've heard gospel and Bible. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you get my point. We'll use our voices to talk about money, to talk about jobs, to talk about sports, to tell jokes, uh, to talk about cars and trucks and things like that, uh, and whatever else comes to mind. I like, uh, I heard an old preacher say a few years ago, and I like it, I've always stuck with me. He told me that he had a lot of church members in his church that if you went to the ball game, you would have swore they were Comanche Indians. But when they showed up to church on Sunday morning, they were more like wooden Indians. And I will say this, if you won't praise the Lord in the house of God, I'm not real sure that you'll praise Him anywhere else. We can also use our voices to pray for the lost. You do know that someone used their voice to pray for you when you were lost. We could use our voice to pray for somebody else that is lost. God's given you a voice. We need to be using it for Him. And one last thing. I said uh, vision, voice, and visitation. Look at verse 27. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest sendest him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You know, it was only after the rich man is in hell does he get concerned enough to go visit someone. I know this is the day of Phone calls and texting and times are different than what they used to and it's, uh, it's not quite as, as proper etiquette just to drop into somebody's house like it used to be and that's fine, you can call them beforehand or text them beforehand or, you know, that's just courteous, I get that, I understand that. But you know what, there's sometimes there's some things that need to take place in a face-to-face conversation that can't be had over the phone or over text or any other kind of messenger or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, we just... Pray that God would give you enough of a burden for somebody that you would just have to go see them face to face and talk to them, visit someone. Don't wait until it's too late to go talk to someone. Do you know how many regrets there is at funerals of lost people? Go talk to someone that God has burdened your heart with. I think sometimes uh, we don't go because we're afraid of how uh, they might react. 
right? We're afraid that maybe we're afraid they'll ask us something or, or, they'll, or, or they'll say something to us and, 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 you know, we don't know what to say, how to respond. Uh, you know, maybe we're afraid of how they, what they might think of us. Uh, afterwards, we're afraid uh, that we might lose a relationship or a friend or, or probably truthfully, we're more afraid that we might lose a little dignity or a little respect. I understand that. I get that. And if they reject the message, that may be just exactly what happens. But it would be better to lose any or all of those things in this life than to lose everything for all of eternity in a devil's hell. It is worth the risk. It is worth the trade. Look, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, somebody says the gospel, the gospel is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that Jesus suffered and died so we so you and I would not have to. It's that Christ paid the price for our sins that he bore our punishment on Calvary's cross. The word gospel literally means glad tidings or good news. What better good news could you possibly take to somebody? That is the best news anyone has ever heard and is ever going to hear. Don't you, be, don't you dare be ashamed of taking that good news to somebody. If they are foolish enough to reject it, that is not on you. Their blood is no longer on your hands. When you take them the good news, take them the gospel, share them the good news. It's just as simple as what I just said. Don't you worry about no uh, deep theological discussions or tricky questions or trying to even... Don't you worry about trying... I used to have this thing, maybe it was me, I'm the only person ever. But I've always worried, and, and the devil would use it to fuel me to try to get me not to witness the people. But I was always worried that I'd encounter somebody that I had to convince the existence of God to. And really that just comes down to faith. Let me tell you something. You don't have to convince anybody of the reality of God. He'll do that himself. He will reveal himself to them. You are just the messenger. Think about in the old days when, the, when the, the king would take and send a messenger and the messenger would herald the message through the kingdom. The messenger did not have to convince anybody of that the king really existed or by the authority that he gave this message. His job is just to deliver the message. That's our job. It is just to herald the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings. Listen to me. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes the hearts and minds of lost people. It is, it is a miraculous thing. It is a miracle every single time it happens. It defies all reason and all logic. Understand the power of the message that you are carrying and that you are delivering. God has supernaturally empowered it. And it will not return void. It will do what God has intended for it to do. 
we get discouraged because we don't see the re, um, results that we want to see immediately. You know, we, we want these, this miraculous immediate results immediately. Listen to me. Very seldom does that happen. Occasionally it does, but very seldom. Do you know how many times people shared the gospel with me before it finally got a hold of me? And you know what? The night that it got a hold of me, all those people over the years that shared, that shared the gospel with me, they wasn't a single one of them there that night when it happened. Well, and some of them had already died and went on to be with the Lord. Have confidence. Have faith in the King that you serve and the message that you carry. And in His power, not yours, not mine. Listen to me. You and I needed to hear the gospel, right? And there are people beyond those doors tonight that need to hear the gospel just the same as you and I did. And it is our job to carry it to them. And you know, we worry too much what people think and the impression and how they might react. Stop worrying about it. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Think about this. On top of doing what you know that God's called you to do and doing all this, on top of all that, know this, that God will be delighted in you with your service when you're being obedient and when you carry the message. He will be delighted with our sacrifice. If you lose a friendship, dignity, or a relationship or whatever because you're doing His will, uh, that is a sacrifice and He will be delighted in our sacrifice. Uh, he will be delighted in the time that you give that you don't think you have. That's a sacrifice. He will be delighted in the sacrifice that you make. Uh, he will be delighted uh, and this will be pleasing and glorifying to God. And that should be one of our greatest desires as a Christian. If we please Him, it does not matter what anyone else thinks. If we please, if our actions please God, it does not matter what anyone else thinks. So let me ask you tonight. Do you have a vision for folks going to hell? I'm not just talking about church growth. I know every one of us would like to see all these pews filled. and I, 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 You don't know how badly I would like to see that. But it's got to go way beyond that. That cannot be the point. The point cannot be to build our own little kingdom, our own little empire. God will not be pleased in that and will not be glorified in that. You've got to have a real desire to see lost people saved, to see souls added to the kingdom of God. Are you witnessing to your friends your family, the people that you're around every day, the everyday people that you, that you come in contact with, that you pass by, are, are you witnessing to them? I don't mean that you need to have necessarily, tracks are a good thing, and that works for some people. Uh, and by all means, you know, there are places where those are available, you can hand those out. But really what I'm talking about, the, the root here, is in our everyday actions and conversation. Think about all that God has done for you. You ought not to be able to open your mouth and talk about anything what you talk about God in His glory and how wonderful He is and what He has done. That ought to come out in every conversation that we have. Are you witnessing to everyone that you come in contact with? 
especially I think about friends and families? Or will there be a friend of yours one day in hell, just like this rich man, who's going to be asking why? Remember I said earlier, I can't imagine how much you'd have to hate somebody to never even warn them of hell. Is there going to be a friend one day who's in hell just like this rich man looking up and asking, why did you not warn them? Why did you not tell them? Why didn't you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Have you lifted your voice to witness to the Lord? Will you go visit whoever God burdens your heart with and try, <coughs> excuse me, and try your best to win them to Christ? Don't let this just be a leaf of compassion tonight. Charles Spurgeon, he said one time, if sinners be damned, at, le at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Have you, have you got a vision for the lost? Have you got a burden for the lost? Do you use your voice for the Lord? Are you willing to go wherever God sends you? Are you willing to tell them, take the chance and tell them about Jesus? Listen to me, we need revival. If we're going to see things change, it's going to take revival. And it's not going to happen until we get a burden for the lost. It's not going to happen until we get a vision for the lost. It's not going to happen until we, until we start using our voice for the Lord. It's not going to happen until we begin to care enough that we're willing to go and to see somebody and talk to them about the Lord and warn them before it's too late. The rich man said, if you would just send somebody back to talk to my five brethren. Don't let that be you one day. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, don't miss this opportunity. Whatever the need is here tonight, would you come? Maybe you've got a burden for somebody on your heart. Would you come and pray for them tonight? Maybe there's some things going on in your life. Uh, would you come tonight? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. If the Holy Spirit, if He is dealing with your heart, if He is pricking your heart right now, don't you resist. Don't you say no one more time. All it's doing is hardening your heart as you do that. Don't resist any longer. Uh, uh, submit. Give in. Whatever it is. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, uh, maybe there's some things in your life. Maybe there's someone you need to be praying for. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're not where you ought to be. Whatever it is, do not miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come?